This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Here's an idea. How about starting a new federal writers project? How about the government hiring a thousand writers and unemployed journalists all over the place to document the unprecedented year we've just been through, the COVID year? Congressman Ted Lieu of Los Angeles has introduced a bill in Congress to do just that. And the idea comes from David Kippen. He's former director of literature for the National Endowment for the Arts, and he's founder of the nonprofit bilingual storefront lending library Libros Schmibros in LA's Boyle Heights. He's also the author of the modern library book Dear Los Angeles, The City in Diaries and Letters, 1542 to 2018. And he's a member of the full-time writing faculty at UCLA. We reached him today somewhere in Northern California. David Kippen, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, John. And a point of order, um, the bill is co-sponsored by Teresa Ledger Fernandez of New Mexico. Thank you for that. Well, first of all, remind us what the Federal Writers Project of the 1930s was and what it did. Well, in the 1930s, of course, America was flat on its back. And the unemployment rate was hellacious. And the Federal Writers Project was part of the New Deal, was part of, um, you know, the uh, FDR's solution, uh, or so he hoped, and so in some respects it turned out to be, to what America was going through. Uh, It put as many as 6,600 workers at a time, that is to say writers, editors, photographers, broadcasters like yourself, librarians, (laughs) to work chronicling not just what was going on in the country at that time, of which there was plenty, but also American history, American voices. They took oral histories and basically invented the discipline of oral history, uh, talking to formerly enslaved people, 2,300 of them. The number of general interviews with everybody from longshoremen to seamstresses uh, topped 10,000, as did ultimately the staff of the project, um, all told over the course of four years. The writers for the original project, Time Magazine said, were, quote, unemployed newspapermen, poets, graduates of schools of journalism who had never had jobs, authors of unpublished novels, high school teachers, and people who had always wanted to write, close quote. They thought this was a ridiculous list. What do you think of that list? Certainly all of that was true, but alongside them, you had the likes of Zora Neale Hurston and John Cheever and Richard Wright and Ralph Ellison and Saul Bellow. And speaking of broadcasters, Studs Terkel got behind his first microphone for the Federal Writers Project. Okay. Well, now it's time for your Minnesota moment. That's news from my hometown of St. Paul that you won't get from Sean Hannity. The uh, WPA Guide to Minnesota, a a product of the Federal Writers Project, was published in 1938, along with guides to all the other states and some of the biggest cities. The Minnesota book is basically a travel guide. It features 20 road trips, six city tours, 15 Boundary Waters canoe trips. And the most notable of the WPA writers in Minnesota was Maridel Lesseur, who later wrote about the experience of being in the Writers' Project in her proletarian novel about suffering in St. Paul. It's called The Girl, and it's become a kind of feminist classic of 30s literature, even though it wasn't discovered and and published until much uh, later. That's kind of par for the course for the Writers' Project, isn't it? 
Oh, very much so. Uh, I, the American guides were what most people associate with the project, although there was so much else. They created guides to all 48 states, which consisted of not just tour guides. That tended to be the last third. The first third was historical essays and cultural essays about society in any given state. The middle was essays about cities. Uh, then it wrapped up with the tour guides. And these were such a sensation that, uh, you know, far beyond everybody's expectations. They just wanted to give writers basically a shovel to lean on and, and a way to, you know, keep the pot boiling. But then after a couple of years, when the guides started coming out and becoming bestsellers and getting great reviews from, I believe, among other places, the nation, they realized they had a hit on their hands and they kept going. And they did not just the oral histories, but guides to cities, guides to regions, uh, you know, over 10,000 publications in all. And yes, Marital Lesur wrote an account of her time on the project. Anzia Yezierska, the Cinderella of the sweatshops, wrote an account of her time on the project. Now, of course, for every one of them, you had guys like John Cheever, who described his year, his year on the project as fixing the sentences of some incredibly lazy bastards. I don't want to make <laughs> this out like it was some sort of, you know, worker's paradise. But in fact, you had friendships develop on the project between people who might never otherwise have met. Many of them, you know, I mean, look at Saul Bellow and Ralph Ellison, who wound up cohabiting for a year there. It wasn't a worker's paradise, but it was a remarkable moment in American history whose time, I believe, has more than come again 85 years later. And there's plenty been going on for 85 years for them to write about. So the 1930s, as you have said, was a period of tremendous unemployment, including among writers. But today, of course, we live in a very different world. But but what? <laughs> well, first of all, yeah, um, over the last 10 years, one in four journalists are out of work. And a third of uh, publications nowadays have laid off people just since the pandemic. So you're talking about a, a crisis that has been made tremendously worse. And so, yes, to put writers uh, back to work, but also, you know, I, I believe it would serve other positive uh, uh, purposes. You're talking about a time in American history when the country is so divided, when people are not talking to each other and the, the urban-rural divide, the generational divide, which I think is as crucial and deleterious as any other in the country right now, is, is incredibly uh, uh, riven. I think that if you could put uh, not just all kinds of different people to work on this, not just laid off uh, journalists all over the country, small town papers who could maybe share uh, you know, whom the, the project could subsidize so that they're working half time for the project, but the other half time um, saving the, the expense of these, these small town papers that are so up against it. That too could be a mitzvah. But, you know, yes, if you can uh, perhaps combine the generations. So you've got, well, my students at UCLA who are graduating from my writing classes straight back into their high school bedrooms, if they could somehow <laughs> apprentice with laid off or underemployed professional journalists, and maybe even teenage copy kids, then you're starting not just to chronicle the country, where it is now, where it's been for 85 years, but you're also incubating that next generation of, you know, the next Saul Bellow, the next uh, Take Your Pick, John Cheever, Ralph Ellison. So, so tell us about Ted Lou's bill and how this would work. First of all, how many people does he propose to include in his bill? 
Well, the bill so far, as it's written, and as we hope it will persevere through the legislative intestines, uh, would create jobs for between 900 to 1,000 writers, editors, photographers, journalists, and it would, it, it would be budgeted for a year with options to renew. It would be, as written, fairly COVID-specific. This is, I think, uh, justice and also pragmatic. I think it's likelier to find a, a willing audience on the Hill if that is emphasized. But at the same time, my wish in my heart of hearts, and I think, I think um, you know, the backers of the bill on the Hill as well, they would like this to develop after demonstrating success uh, for its original charge, as with the original project. It would be wonderful, don't you think, if it could morph into the kind of more ambitious repertorial project of chronicling modern society and go for, well, four years as the original project went, or who knows? I mean, you know, the minute America stops being interesting, then I think the project can wind down. And if uh, people want to help get this law creating a new federal writers project passed, what should they do? They should hit pause on their podcast, run to their laptop, send emails to their elected representatives, both in the House and in the Senate. Uh, they should write letters to uh, the editor of the local paper if they are lucky enough to live in a place with vibrant local media. They should call the local radio station. They should deploy whatever compromise they have on powerful elected officials. They should, in any way possible, make a whole lot of noise so that the Congress will be ashamed not to pass such a bill. And then, only when they've done all that, will they deserve to come back and hit play and hear the rest of your broadcast. And I have one other question, which I know a lot of our listeners are, are writers, friends of ours who are writers. Where, where can they apply for a job on the new Federal Writers Project? Well, you see, my last injunction to your listeners is kind of a prerequisite to the answer for your question. I mean, certainly everybody within the sound of my voice is welcome to email me and ask how they can help at K-I-P-E-N-D at gmail.com. But I will not be able to oblige except in encouraging them to, you know, hector their, their elected officials until passage. And then, yes, there will be a grant procedure through either libraries, uh, whether public or, as it turns out, nonprofit, like one I can think of off the top of my head, but also media guilds, communications, unions, newspapers, both for profit and, uh, and not for profit. Um, although, you know, the smaller the better. Uh, uh, only a few organizations are allowed to apply to this project via the Labor Department in order to uh, qualify for the program. And then they, I believe, will be doing the hiring. David Kippen. David, congratulations on getting a bill introduced in Congress. And thanks for talking with us today. I take no bows at intermission, but uh, cross your fingers and thanks for the time, John. I so appreciate it. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. 